We are continuing in the chronological life of Jesus and picking up where we left off last time. You recall that Jesus last time had walked on the water, that the men were rowing and worked very hard to get across the shore. And after Jesus had walked on the water, Peter, and, and Peter had some experience with that, he got into the boat, and that's where we're going to pick it up. And I'm going to start in Mark chapter 6, verses 50, verse 51. Mark 6, verse 51. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So as soon as he got in the boat, the wind stopped, and the people were amazed. And the scriptures go so far as to say in Mark 6.52, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. So remember, just before this, that same evening, earlier on in the evening, and now it had gone into the early mornings of the the next day, that that evening before, Jesus had fed 5,000 men, plus whatever women and children there might have been, and they saw from... Five loaves and two little fish, they saw the feeding of thousands of people. And so the disciples were going. So they saw this. It wasn't as if they forgot it, but they had not gained any insight from it. And then if you look at the the same portion in Matthew chapter 14, what Matthew reports is something a little bit different. it, it's, it's not contrary to any extent. It's just different, a different part that he reports. It says in Matthew chapter 14, verse 32, when they got into the boat, that's Jesus and Peter, when they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And, they were, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. So they worshipped Jesus after they had seen this, the way Jesus was walking on water, the way Jesus... You know, as soon as he stepped into the boat, all of this, this, this uh, wind stopped. They said, you are certainly God's son. So theologically, they have it right. Theologically, it's all correct. They are recognizing Jesus as the son of God. You say, well, how, how did they get this? Because it talks about God's son, actually, quite specifically in uh, Psalm 2. It talks about God's son in Psalm 2. And they said, you are God's son. This is the messianic person. You are God's son. So the theology was right. But in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, it says, they hadn't gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. But their heart was hardened. In other words, theologically they had it all right. They had the witness of the feeding of the 5,000. Who knew it better than them? That there were just five loaves and two fish that Jesus prayed over, and then he just started handing them mountains of food to distribute. Who was closer to this than the twelve? But they hadn't gained any insight. So this tells us that theologically, a person can have it right. Theologically, they can be all right. They can recognize Jesus as the Son of God. So, you know, that's my typical question to see if people really believe. What do they believe? Do you believe in the physical resurrection of Christ? They can have that right. Here, Jesus had not yet raised from the dead. Here they were to believe that He was the Messiah, that He was the Son of God. They realized this. 
But their heart was so hardened, they hadn't gained any insight from the incident that occurred. So theologically, we can be right. Yeah, I, I know, Jesus is the Son of God. Yeah, 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 I know. But we have no understanding of the way that He wants to work in our lives personally. We have no understanding of the way Jesus wants to have an impact in our lives. It goes more than just the theology of knowing that Jesus is the Son of God. Remember the verse that we looked up at last time. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He is the rewarder of those who seek Him. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him in, in, in Hebrews 11.6. Whoever comes to God must believe that He is and that He's the rewarder of those who seek Him. If you want to see a substantive change in your life, because of the effect of the gospel. It is not enough to just believe who God is, even to believe that He's His Son. This can establish for you salvation. But what sets people apart for those who really do things for Christ is people who believe that God wants to do something through me. And God can do something through me. And you are at the age where if you don't catch on to this now, you will likely never catch on to this. You will likely go through your life, I'm not saying you'll deny Christ, not at all. Theologically, you'll be said that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's risen from the dead. But if you want to see the power of God in your life, if you want to see Him coming through in your life where He's with you in your career, He's with you in your relationship, He's with you in your marriage, He's with you in your home and with your children, then our hearts have to be free of being hardened so that we can gain insight when God does something special with us, when God uses us in some special way. So when we pray, God, use me today. Today, use me. As I go into that meeting today, use me in that. As I have this meeting with this person, Lord, use me. Lord, give me wisdom at this time. And you will find yourself in situations where you have no wisdom. I mean, I am not a counselor. That is not something that that I'm trained to do. I've never been trained. But lots of people come to me and I don't know what to do. So I say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Give me insight for this person. And isn't it interesting? God gives me insight. And I can drop a word into their life and I'm like, wow. Yeah, that, that really speaks to me. And I'm like, what did I do? <laughs> and I just drop this word. But God intercedes on the situation. So theologically, to have it correct is a first step. But then to keep our hearts from being hardened so that we would gain insight. Here are 12 men who really sought, who had gained no insight from the loaves. Verse 50, Mark chapter 6, verse 53. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. And in the Matthew account, in Matthew 14.34, it says, When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret, and when they... And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent word into the surrounding district and brought to him all who were sick 
and they implored him that they, he might just touch the fringe, they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were cured. Remember that before the unpardonable sin, Jesus healed masses. There was no requirement of faith. Here he healed individuals based on faith. They had to touch the cloak of his garment. There was a reaching out to Jesus. At this point, and, and actually this fringe of his cloak speaks of the, the tassels that hang, that were prescribed in the law of Moses that men were to hang these tassels. And if you see an Orthodox Jew today, you will see these tassels hanging from the sides, actually hanging from their belts. Have you ever seen this on Orthodox Jews? You've seen it. We've had people working in the lab who were Orthodox Jews and they had these tassels hanging. Yeah, a couple summers ago. You didn't notice the little tassels hanging. Yeah. So, so you, you see this on, on, on Orthodox Jews today. And it was this that they're talking about. These tassels that were prescribed by Moses, the Jewish men were to have hanging. Jesus had hanging. And when it talks about the fringe of his garments, it's actually this tzitzi, uh, this, uh, this tassel that's hanging from the side of their garments. All they wanted to do was to touch that. And as many as touched it were healed. Jesus healed mat, mat, the masses based on personal need and based on faith. If they had a need and there was enough faith, they were healed. And they would reach out and touch him, they were healed. And now let's now we're going to read in John, so we're going to so we're going to pick up this account in John, John chapter six, verse twenty two. And what John tells us, remember Jesus had left five thousand men plus a bunch of other women and children, after he fed them, you know, they ate so much, they were hungry, he dismissed them, he went up to the mountain to pray, he sent the disciples to go in the boat, back to the other side, back to Gennesaret, from Bethsaida to Gennesaret. They get caught in this storm, Jesus is on the mountain, we covered this last time, he sees them, straining at the oars, he goes with the intent just to walk by him. And they say, is that you? They thought it was the angel of death, and Jesus said, don't worry, it's me. And uh, so now this crowd is waking up, the 5,000 men that had been fed, they're waking up and they see that Jesus' disciples' boats are gone. They had not seen Jesus go, and so they're wondering what's going on. So in John 6:22, the next day the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there were no small boats there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. There came other boats from Tiberias, near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So, these 5,000 men, plus whatever women and children there were, wake up, they see Jesus, the boat's of Jesus' disciples, they weren't there, Jesus isn't there, but there's all these other boats coming from Tiberias, because they heard Jesus had fed 5,000 people, so then they start coming, a lot of boats start coming. And so these people start coming to the shore, and they ask the 5,000, where's this Jesus who's feeding people? So they look around, he's not here. So these 5,000 people, plus whatever women and children, are getting on these boats with these people, and going back to Capernaum to seek Jesus. Maybe some walked, but it says they got back into the boat. So there were many people from Tiberias that came, because you've got to put a lot of people on boats. And they're going back across. This is what the Scriptures say. When they get back to Capernaum, they find Jesus on the other side, and they say to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? 
So this is the next morning. They're like, when did you get here? We never saw you leave in the boats. Well, remember, during that storm at night, Jesus just walked across the water. So rather than answering specifically their question, which Jesus often does it this way, a question is asked, and he gives them a response which is not exactly what they were asking for. So they asked him, they said, Rabbi, when did you get here? You would think, oh, I got here at 4.30 in the morning, or I got here at 6 in the morning. You'd think that that would be the response. Well, here's what Jesus answers them. In John chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore he said to them, What shall we, therefore they said to him, What shall we do? so that we may work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So they said to Him, What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What, do you do, what work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Okay, so I want to remind you how Jesus speaks to the masses now. He no longer speaks clearly to the masses. Remember after the unpardonable sin? And we read these verses. It says, from that day, from that moment of the unpardonable sin, he only spoke to them in parables. It says, without a parable, he didn't speak to them. But it also says, to the twelve, he would then get alone with them and he would speak clearly to them and explain to him the parables. That is the only mode of teaching that Jesus had from that moment onward. And, and just to remind you, so I'll, I'll read that. From, from Matthew 13, verse 34, is, is, is one of the accounts of that. So right after the unpardonable sin, in Matthew 13, 34, he, gives, he tells all these parables, and uh, his, his disciples were confused about all this. Why is he speaking in parables? Because he had never spoken in parables like this before. And Jesus said in Matthew 13, 34, all these things Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, and he did not speak to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. And then in Mark, in Mark chapter 4, it says something very similar. In Mark chapter 4, um, it, it says, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And as soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, and while hearing they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And then if you jump down to the same chapter, Mark 4.33, Mark 4.33, with many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, 
but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So you had to the twelve and some other followers of his, he would explain everything privately, but to the masses he only spoke in parables. I want you to remember that as we begin to read through this. Because as we read this discourse in John, if you take it literally, then it's really confusing. But if you understand that he's speaking in parables, then you understand it in the, in the parabolic sense in which he's speaking. He only spoke to them parabolically. And this is falling very much under that set of instruction. <clears throat> so, he says to them, and so then we, we, what we have to do is glean what is going on within the parables. What might he be saying? So, in, in John chapter 6, remember they had said to him, how did you get here? And his reply is to them in verse 26 is, You're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, if you you could just take these signs that I've given you, the signs were there. I fed 5,000 people from five loaves and two fish. I wanted you to see that this is indeed the Messiah. The Messiah is here. But this meant nothing to them. He says, you're just coming to me because you get fed. That's it. Oh, thank you. So, so he says, you're, you're, com- you're coming to me simply because you're getting fed. That's it. That's the only reason you're coming to me. And, and uh, we will see that Jesus is no longer going to do this type of thing. And you say, it's great. You know, uh, you know Jesus is great. You know, he just keeps feeding the people. He doesn't. He doesn't keep giving them food. In fact... He stops giving them food. And you say, well, in the early church, in the book of Acts, you know, everybody came, they pooled their money, and they fed everybody. And that church, in the book of Acts, in Jerusalem, was never asked to do that. The book of Acts is an historical book that accounts what happened. And that church became broke. That, that church became impoverished. Before very long, it became impoverished. And they had to take donations from the Gentile churches to support the church in Jerusalem. That was never prescribed by God for there to be a socialistic or communistic thing where everybody pools what they have and let the church distribute it. That model, in fact, shows that it didn't work in the book of Acts. It didn't work. And what what eventually Paul instructed was not for all the rich people to give their money away, but to, to be generous, to be generous. What you want to do is you want to keep rich people rich because they keep giving. You don't want to make a rich person broke and that's it. Rich people know how to make money and I'm not one of them. There are men, even in this church, that know how to make a lot of money. You want to keep having them make money and have them be generous. But this idea that there was mass distribution of food, Jesus did it here on two occasions. But he stopped doing it. And he said, you're just seeking me because your belly's full. That's what he said. And you know that this is their interest because they say, well, Moses fed the masses. Remember, manna fell from heaven for 40 years when they were in the wilderness. Bread would fall from heaven, it says, and that was the manna that supported them, that kept them alive for 40 years. It would fall six days in every week. And on the, on, on the sixth day, it would, it would uh, fall double the amount so they could gather twice as much so they had enough for the seventh day so they didn't have to gather on the seventh day. God provided food for them. So these, this mass of 5,000 people has come and they said, well, just do what Moses did. Just feed us every day. They wanted, you, you, you see what I mean? You see what they're asking for. 
Yeah, you fed us once, but Moses, he fed them every day. So do that and then we'll believe you. You know, you see this charge they put before Jesus. You do this and then we'll believe you. He says, I want you to understand that it wasn't Moses that fed them. It was my father, first of all. Second of all, there's something much greater here that's being exposed to you. So if you look at this again, Jesus says in verse 27, Do not work for food which perishes, but for food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So he says there's a food which perishes. That's what you're working for. And let me put this in the context of the people of that day. I know, you know, I've read this, that that a man in the 1700s, so, so 1,700 years after this event, even a man in the 1700s would spend 75% of his day trying to acquire food for him and his family for that day. So 75% of a man's normal day was just getting food for him and his family, whatever it was, whether it was a carpenter or whatever, just getting enough money, or enough resources to get food for himself and for his family for that day. So certainly in that time, it was at least 75%. So in other words, food was a major thing. Here in our society, I mean, you you can practically just go from place to place and just get food all you need. It's not a big deal. How much of my working day is spent getting the money that I spend on food for my family? It's not 75%, I'll tell you that. You know, it's some small percentage. So to to these people... If, you could, if they could get food for the day, I mean, this was a huge thing. And Jesus said, there's something better here than this. And that is the food of God, which is better. He says, you don't work for this food which, in, but, which perishes, but you work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And so they say in verse 28, the reply to him is, therefore they said to him, what shall we do so that we may work the works of God? They say, okay, what does God want from us? And Jesus answered in verse 29, he said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So he says, the first step is you believe on me. These people were not believers. They were not believing in him as Messiah. He says, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to get saved. You've got to believe. And this is our message to people. The first thing you've got to do is, you know, not start serving in the body of Christ. No, the first message you tell people is you've got to get saved. You've got to believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus is going from, you know, the 101. I mean, this is the first class. You've got to get saved. So they said to him, What do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe? What work do you perform? Uh, I just fed 5,000 people, you and your whole families. I mean, Jesus already did the sign. So you say, well, show us another sign. You see, showing signs will never be enough. You know, some people will say to you, well, if God does this, then I'll believe. You know, if God, you know, if He comes down right now in a bowl of light, then I'll believe. No, you won't. You'll, you'll explain that away like you explain away everything else. Well, you know, the electrical system wasn't good, and there was an arc that came, you know, between there and there. There was a potential set up, and the arc came. You know, you'll explain it away. You'll always explain it away. They saw the thing, and when people give some bold thing, they'll just explain it away. Then they said, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you true bread. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to Him, Lord, 
always give us this bread. You see, Jesus is speaking in parables and they're taking it figuratively. Jesus is saying there's something greater and he's about to talk about how he's the bread of life. In verse 35 of John, John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Who comes, he who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. That of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father. That everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I myself will raise him up on the last day. You want to know what Jesus' job is? Jesus defines his job. This is Jesus' job description given to him by the Father. Do you think Jesus knows how to fulfill his job? This is his job description. He says, this, in verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he's given me, I lose nothing, but I raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. You take hold of this verse. It is Jesus' job to give you eternal life. You believe on Him, and He will give you eternal life. He will not lose one of you. You may say, well, that person believed and they drifted away. They're with Jesus. They're with Jesus. He takes care of that. He won't lose one of them. This is Jesus' job to grant eternal life. And this is a very real thing. And one day, you're going to lose somebody who's a real treasure to you. There's a, uh, one of my, my son's friends in, in his school just died this past weekend. And I shared this verse with his family. And his, you know, in this family, they're taking, taking hold of this hope that there is a resurrection. Jesus will raise them up. Remember, we covered this already. Immediately, when one who believes dies, their spirit immediately goes to be with Christ. And their body will be raised up one day as well. Jesus takes care of it. That's His job. That's His job description given to Him by His Father. He takes care of it. But He says, this is what God has for us. If we look up in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Let me look look up in verse 35. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. God calls us to something much more. If you want to be free of hunger and thirsting in your life, you come to Jesus and you walk with Him. I have seen this over and over again, even with believers. If we are not about the work of God and doing the things that keep us close to God, we will never be satisfied in life. Everybody is seeking satisfaction. And I'll tell you, my greatest desire for you is that you have good lives, that you have good marriages, that you have good homes, that you have good children, that you have good jobs, that everything that God wants to have for you. But you know, life is not always easy. Life is not always easy. Some of you are going to get married and, you know, your spouse is going to end up running around and cheating on you. And it has nothing to do with what you did. And they could know the Lord. And this happens all the time in the body of Christ. Some of you are going to get married and you're going to have 
you know, children that have some sort of psychological problem. They're a special needs child. These things happen. But God hasn't left you. If your sustenance is in God, all these things happen in life and they hit everybody. But you will be fulfilled in Christ. Fulfillment comes in Christ. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. If you come to God and believe in Him and start being about His work, start believing to the extent that the things that He does has an impact on your life, then you will be fulfilled. Fulfillment will not come strictly through your job. Look at how many people are unfulfilled by their careers. Happens all the time. You think, oh, well, once I get a job with ExxonMobil, then I'm set. You're not set. You're set for disaster is what you're set for. Because it will not fulfill you. There'll be layoffs, there'll be problems, there'll be all sorts of things that happen. Being set comes being content in God. That is the only sure thing that you have. I was talking with a young couple, the, the, the young lady, she graduated from Rice a number of years ago and, and she went off and she got a job and she met a guy who, who, who just started with, was with the State Department and he's got his first overseas assignment. So they live in the Middle East on his first overseas assignment and, and I had this Skype conversation with them yesterday. They wanted to talk with me and she's really concerned because she said, you know, it's dangerous here and, and you know, I don't want to lose my husband and... I just, I just want to be like you. I just want to be like you and Shireen. I want to live in the United States and have a nice home and I want to have four children and I want to be a, 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 a woman who takes care of my husband and takes care of my home. I said, you know, you're living in a fantasy world. You think that if you're just here in the United States that everything's rosy. Remember, this is a blip in human history where people can live relatively secure. Most of human history is you're living in these towns and these villages and you don't know who's going to come and kill you that day. And there was diseases that would start and boom, just go through cities. People died all the time. Very few men in human history have ever lived to as old as I am. Very few men. You say, you think, well, I'm not that old. Well, compared to human history, there's very few men that have lived as old as I am because we live in this blip of a time in human history where we've learned how to you know, control mass diseases and so, so that, that, that uh, people live longer. And then we, we're somehow protected by, by a big military that protects us from this onslaught of people. But, you know, this is a fantasy world that if you think everything's going to be secure. And one of the things they said is they have a great church there overseas in the Middle East. And they went to their pastor and they, the pastor, you know, this girl was sharing with the pastor this, his, uh, her concern. And you know what the pastor said to her? If your husband dies for the cause of the gospel, fine. And he's working for the State Department, but you know they're believers. And how could the man be so crude as to say that? Because he lives in a very different culture, where human life is not the ultimate. The human enjoyment is not the ultimate. It is pleasing God. And in God you will be fulfilled. And this is what I tried to communicate to them. Only in God will you be fulfilled. You walk with Him and you will be fulfilled. Whether it's here or whether it's there, when you walk with Him, there will be joy, there will be fulfillment. But if you're always looking to myself, I said, you may come here and find out you can't have children. Then what are you going to do? Or your first child may have Down syndrome. Then what do you do? All your fantasy falls apart. We don't know what life holds for us. But all we know is in Christ we are fulfilled. 
in Christ you will be fulfilled. If you walk with God, that I am sure of. You take this Word of God, you make it your daily meditation. You walk with God and then come what may. You may get laid off from jobs. God will sustain you. How do I know? Because the Scripture promises. He says, the children of the righteous will never beg bread. This young lady was concerned, if I lose my husband and I have children, then what am I going to do? Then what's going to happen to me? You know, and somebody said, well, your husband works for the State Department, you can go on government assistance. She said, I don't want to be on government assistance. I said, I don't blame you. You will never have to beg bread. You will be taken care of. God will provide for you. God will provide. You walk with God. That is your only source of fulfillment. Some women look to men for fulfillment. Oh, if I could only marry that guy, then I'd be set. He'd take care of me. Well, wake up. Because your husband is never going to fulfill all your needs and take care of all your little desires and make you all comfortable in life. And many women get, you know, totally blown away the first few years in marriage because they say, I thought this guy was going to, you know, just be my fulfillment and everything. No, he cannot. He cannot. I mean, there's too much stuff going on in your life. God will be for your fulfillment. You learn to draw close to God and you will be fulfilled. You learn to draw close to, be, close to God and you will be fulfilled. Yes, husband has a job, but he can't meet every need that a woman has. And a woman can't every, meet every need that a man has. You are fulfilled in Christ. This is what Jesus said. He said, I am the bread of life that came down out of heaven. This is what he's saying to them. He said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. On the last great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And as the scriptures have said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. If any man is thirsty, let him come to Jesus and drink. Jesus will fulfill you. It is not your job. It is not your career That will just only be very temporary. You will never have enough money. You will never have enough that, that, oh, now I'm set. Now I've got this. Now I've got that. No, fulfillment comes in Christ. Fulfillment comes in Christ. You build your life, your home, your family, your career around Jesus Christ and His principles. And only then will you be fulfilled. Or you will always feel like you never have enough. Like nothing is ever going quite right. Everything. And I've seen this many times in this church, in the body of Christ. You see it all the time. You see it all the time. Fulfillment only comes in Christ. And there are people that you will meet that have Christ. And you will see a richness in them that come what may. The economy is going to go belly up and all these things are going to be happening. There might be mass inflation and all of this. But there's a peace in Christ that sustains people. You get close to Christ. And He is the bread that lives forever. Let's pray. Father, my Father, I pray for these young people that good would come in their lives through Jesus Christ. That they would take hold of You and Your Word and the importance of it and come close to Jesus. Father, Your blessing and your grace be there, I pray. The blessing and the grace of God be there. Father, I pray that you would teach us that Jesus is the bread of life, that he will sustain us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, 
that you indeed are the bread of life. Bless these young people, I pray. Father, your blessings be upon them. In the name of Jesus. Amen.